with Morgan streaking. She's chipping the goalkeeper! The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets across it. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. This is episode 56 of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so, so much for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. We are coming to you from LA, where luckily it isn't all that cold, where, as I know, there's a lot of people out here dealing with the cold in a lot of different areas. So, you guys are getting a true holiday experience, unlike us out here on the West Coast. But uh, thank you guys again for tuning in. Everything from the world of women's soccer, the latest and greatest news, analysis, lifestyle pieces, all at www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Again, check us out on Instagram, at Girls Soccer Network, and on Twitter, at Girls Soccer Net. We have a YouTube channel as well, Girls Soccer Network, where we've been putting up a lot of content as well. Be sure to go check that out. TikTok, we are also very popular. That's steadily growing as well. Check us out there as well. Now, let's get into you know more about what Siri can do for you. If you, again, want to play this show, you want to subscribe to it, please give us feedback, leave a review share this with other people whatever it is that we can provide to you in terms of better content let us know and we will be happy to help this episode is a special one it is a yearly wrap-up episode like we've done for the last couple years this is to wrap up what was an insane 2022 uh for for the world of women's soccer you want to talk about exponential growth that we've been talking about well i think it just took another huge leap so we're going to get into some of the highlights of the year plus a special interview with our founder and CEO, Jen Gruskoff, talking with Gwen Oxenham, who is a former star at the University of Duke as a soccer player and then has ventured into becoming a author and has written an amazing, amazing book on the pride of a nation, the history of U.S. women's soccer. Uh, this is an, a follow-up to her previous book, Untold Stories of Women's Soccer, Under the Lights and Under the Dark. So she was really shedding a light on some of the stories and history of the game that we need to know about, and I absolutely love it. I'm a huge history buff, and then you put sports in, in combination with that, and I just go crazy. So, uh, yeah, more on that in a little bit, but first let's get into, again, some of the craziness from what was an insane year. I think four main highlights to go over. Number one. The most recent, uh, you're talking about UCLA winning the national championship. Oh my goodness. You want to talk about a game for the century? My God. Marguerite Aozasa, one of the head assistants over at Stanford at Paul Radcliffe's program, gets poached to UCLA and in her first season is able to win the national championship. I mean, you're talking about something that is unprecedented, something that's never been done before. And I think the one thing that really stands out about Marguerite is her ability to just 
be unfazed and so calm and her demeanor almost never changed even throughout the entirety of that final and i think uh this is actually a fair comparison comparing it to the world cup final that we just saw not too long ago uh you're talking about the way that that game went between france and argentina it was eerily similar to this ucla versus north carolina game again if you have not gotten a chance to check it out you absolutely have to Somewhere, I'm sure ESPN Plus will have coverage, NCAA.com. The game may be archived there, but if you haven't gotten a chance to at least watch the highlights, go to Twitter and watch it because, I mean, what an incredible game it was. And it was, again, like I said, just like Argentina versus France, the same way France was dead and buried for about 75 minutes of that game. UCLA looked dead and buried for, for that same amount of time period as well. North Carolina flat out dominated them. And no one, I think, saw that coming. The way that they controlled the possession, the way that they pressured UCLA, it felt like UCLA was on the back foot the entire game. And then when you score those goals, you get you know, two goals from, from Avery Patterson. I mean, headers into the box that UCLA was just unable to defend. I mean, well put in crosses, and you lose your marker for one split second, and that's all it takes, right? It's the finest of margins in, in games that are this big. So when you see that game, right, and you're thinking, okay, UCLA is dead. <laughs> 2-0 down, 70-something uh, minutes to go, and then boom, back-to-back goals. Uh, you're talking about some quick reactions. Emmy Allen, unfortunately, did everything she could, but the first goal was just... The shot was hit too hard. She had to spill it. She, there was no way she could risk catching that. And naturally, you know, the finish was there for UCLA. But the the big moment was Ryland Turner at the literally the last kick of the game. All right. And I want you to, if you get the chance to, again, see that goal, look at how she sells out. Just look at how much she gave her entire body like being, her soul was on the line in that moment, literally diving through the goal. She literally put her entire body on the line, jumped through the goal to get that over the line. There will be complaints about whether that was a foul or not at Emmy Allen, but at that stage of the game, uh, sometimes those calls don't get, get called. I mean, you've seen it called before where you're crowding the keeper and you get in her way, but this time there were just so many bodies in the box. It was utter chaos. And whether you think it's a missed call or not, it it happened. And then you're talking about uh, the the game winner in extra time to to top it off. I mean, Mary Carmen Reyes, the emotion uh, that she showed after that goal, what it meant to her, just tears after scoring the goal where UCLA was 30 minutes prior to where they ended up. Just an incredible, incredible story and just why you never give up and why you continue to push on. And that's what I mean, like... So similar to the way France never gave up. Um, Kylian Mbappe took over the game, right, and forced it to extra time. That's the only difference. The team that was ahead still ended up winning. Argentina got it done. Messi got his World Cup. Whereas North Carolina will feel very hard done by to, to let that slip through their fingers. That was about the closest that they've come in the last decade. They've had They've had some other close calls. I think penalty shootout losses, but that was one where... You're 2-0 up with about 10 minutes to go, and you'd love to see that through. But unfortunately, that's just how it goes. It's a long tournament. It's a grueling tournament against the toughest teams, and you have to stay mentally sharp throughout all of it. 
and unfortunately the Tar Heels just let it slip for a brief period of time and that was all that it took for UCLA to take over and rightfully so UCLA the best team all year in the polls and the rankings I would say at least 75% of the year they were at in that number one spot after early on in the year maybe by like October they were the number one team and they never looked back so you're looking at a large majority of the season they hold held on to that top spot and then secured the national championship so second in in school history a big one for the Bruins and of course they they are going to be moving to the Big Ten in a couple years so it is huge that they were still able to get one of these last title wins with being a part of the Pac-12 conference but again one of the many highlights from this year if you haven't watched that game definitely go watch it. Next up, the Portland Thorns winning the NWSL. I mean, what else is there to, to say? I think they finally were able to to capitalize on this group of and why you drafted Morgan Weaver and Sophia Smith, you know, number one and number two overall. That's This is why you do that. For moments like these and situations like these, uh, they came through. They really came through and against a tough tough Kansas City team and I know that they're you know reeling from that loss we got to speak to Alex Loera last time about how they're going to bounce back uh from that final but you look at what Portland was able to do even with Christine Sinclair they finally finally gave her you know a, a target said look we can't start you every game and I think that's been the main thing in in this playoff run and whatnot like she's still impacting the game she's still giving this team minutes but not to the level that she used to uh, still an important player still a world-class player but she can't do it for a full 90 uh, at least in the NWSL so you look at Portland winning it all it was an incredible story again another first year head coach winning it all another woman as well Rian Wilkinson, uh, a lot of great things to happen for Portland this year. But it was marred in controversy. You're talking about Merritt Paulson finally selling the club in spite of all of the allegations of abuse and things like that, and yet players still supported him. Players are still supporting him, and then the fans are getting on the players, and it's just an absurd gray area here to where, like, okay, you like the person, but they're a terrible person, underneath and they've abused people but do you support them do you not support them even because you have you've had a good relationship with them and you can't forget all the good things they did for you but then you find out later on that they weren't good how do you react in that situation are you gonna jump along with what everyone's saying and just because they're you have to go based off of what your interaction is with that person rather than whatever is whatever everyone else is saying you got to formulate your own opinions on the matter okay because everyone else is going to be so quick to jump and cancel and do all this other stuff you have to truly decide for yourself okay and now Merritt Paulson is is out deservedly so he does not deserve to be there anymore but I find it interesting that when people you know still posted in, in support of him or saying thank you it wasn't received well I mean, it's like people really can't express anything anymore unless it's the way that they like it which is a tough part of how society is now you can't every single word that you say is watched even if you didn't mean it even if it was an accident even if it was taken out of context it doesn't matter it's like how are you supposed to speak how are you supposed to say or do anything 
freely and be your authentic self if you can't express yourself openly. But that's how that goes. Anyway, rant over. The thorns still have a lot to to get through, even though you know the the club's being, you know, the club's finally been sold, and then you have Wilkinson stepping down in one of has to be the shortest ten, one of the shortest ten years in league history for a full time coach to leave. Um, and I thought it was interesting that she was transparent with all the investigators about a feelings arising for I think a player and they did the right thing they were fully transparent about it they they did not go forward with it um and she was open and and honest about it I just again I'm I again I'm just surprised at the amount of against support that she got when other people have been chased that were chased out of town for it. So you're telling me because you got ahead of it that now it the circumstances change? Is that is that how it it works now? Because you got ahead of it now, it you don't get vilified as much as say in Elisa Hugh. Okay, that's probably she probably falls more under the harassment side of things. She kept pushing the envelope when she did not need to. And Wilkinson and this player was supposedly a mutual thing that happened and they they both uh, decided it, it couldn't go any further. So like because they because the player in this case happened to express mutual interest and they knew that they couldn't go forward, that's the only reason. Right? It's like what happened to professionalism? What happened to keeping it uh what happened to keeping things separate, business and, and pleasure separate? It seems to be happening a lot in the women's game. And it, and you saw the Yates report come out, right? Everyone was on it. Literally everyone was on it. Um, but because Wilkinson was very transparent about the investigative process, she she's okay. Which I thought was interesting. I thought that was interesting. Either way, we move on from Portland, even though that was a wild situation. Winning the NWSL, they still remain the gold star. Uh, Their former coach, Mark Parsons, is returning to the NWSL. That'll be fun. Managing the Washington Spirit expectations will be at an all-time high uh, for them going into this year. And as for the Thorns themselves, I don't think they've been able to find a replacement for Rian Wilkinson just yet, so keep an eye on who they decide to bring in. But Mark Parsons in, you have Rian Wilkinson out, so we've got some shuffling going on uh, going into to next year. But it's going to be f- interesting to see how the Thorns move forward, how they handle the situation based on what's going on over the last, say, you know, year or so. And not just year or so, it's been an ongoing situation within the club. The fans have not been happy, and rightfully so, with with how people are being mistreated. So, again, it's something that now they can finally move forward now that uh, Mr. Merritt Paulson is gone. Moving over to Europe now, uh, I think one of the biggest storylines of the year was England winning the Euros. How can we not go back to that and talk about that for a little bit, what it does culturally, what it does internationally for 
those women over in the UK and just for building legitimacy in that game because, again, it was the Americans who first were the most progressive. In England, they already had the Premier League on the men's side. So there were definitely a lot of men out there who felt like, why do we need a women's Premier League? And and it's been around for quite some time. It's just no one cared until the last couple years, really. And then you have England winning the Euros now, which was an incredible, incredible event in England to win that. Chloe Kelly, we've talked about that moment, what it meant. It was like a Brandy Chastain-like moment uh, inspired by her. And that's exactly what we saw uh, happen live. And, and it's so cool because they actually have the stadiums, right, to support all the fandom. They're actually going to be able to get butts in seats and really be able to push the sport to the next level with all the backing and everything else that they're going to get. This is just going to take them to the next level. And they're going to continue to rise. They're going to be a tough, tough out the World Cup coming up over the summer. So I think... England, what an incredible story that was. And you better believe they're coming for the rest of the United States. The United States is on notice right now in terms of the rest of the world catching up with with us. So I think it's very interesting to keep an eye on going into the summer, how England does, how they continue to grow as a, as a group. I think you cannot overlook what that win means for for that for that country and and for women out there they knew they could always do it it's just to finally get the support that they deserve right the americans have been able to provide enough support and enough infrastructure but they have the they have the real money being pumped into the sport like we the nwsl is slowly getting there but it doesn't nearly compare to the money that uh england is pouring into the sport so you know, they are, again, quickly, rapidly on the rise. England, Spain, we've talked about whether, you know, the rest of the world is catching up, and they definitely are. Speaking of, you know, catching up to the U.S. women's national team and just talking about the overall history of the U.S. women's national team, it is time for that interview that we talked about with our founder and CEO, Jen, and Gwen Oxenham, who have, you know, they had a great discussion about the book, what some of her favorite players are, his historic moments are from her time just being a fan of the team as well as writing the book and, and putting the stats and putting the history and, and pictures and everything together. It is a super, super in-depth book. So again, be sure to order it, check it out. Uh, but here's the interview, guys. Enjoy. I love the, you know, that shot of the 80s team. <laughs> I mean, they're just such rock stars, right? You just yeah. see the, the power and strength already. Nobody knew them, nobody, you know, but they just had that that kind of bravado. And, you know, you see that threaded through. There's just a an attitude, a, an arrogance in a good way, right. right? That you need to to have to carry the, the country on your back. And I um I love the way that, you know, I love the photos and especially the older ones that we we don't get to see very often. And and yet, and then the newer, the iconic ones, I guess, what is your favorite, what are a couple of your favorite moments in U.S. women national team history? 
Uh, I mean, I loved writing about the beginning, uh, the the chapter before I knew about, um, you know, I hadn't realized, I didn't know anything about the 1980s. Um, I have a friend, Stacey Enos, who uh, played on that very first team, official team that played in, in Italy and getting to talk with her about, um, you know, riding motorcycles through the wine country and, and then you know, walking out of the tunnel in that first game and hearing sound and you're hearing noises and they're usa 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 and they're like, what is that? Are they booing us? I, I think they're booing us. Like, could they really be booing us? And then when her face lights upon the barista, her friend who had made her a cappuccino every morning, um, she she hears his voice and realizes that USA is USA turned into one channelable word and that it's support. And, you know, hearing the history behind that moment, because now every generation since that's the pregame chant is USA, USA, USA. And hearing that beginning. And then just the, I, I loved um, the moments of riding on a cold train and um, playing on a gravel field that ground their cleats down and the uh, text you know, reading your textbooks because they're still college students in the beginning and reading by candlelight when there's no power in Haiti and uh, just watching, um, watch those moments. And like you say, the the grit and the attitude that connects all of them. So you've got these 80s pioneers in the early 90s who, who never, fame never came their way. I mean, they're, they're, their stories have been just untold shockingly um yet they still had that same attitude that Sophia Smith and Naomi Gurmey and the new generation have of just this uh, this is going to happen and um it, yeah. it, it was it was awesome to get to call people up and and f- try to find out these stories i feel really lucky to do what i do excellent um is there a player that you've always just admired a little, you know, just like that captures your, your heart, the spirit of your imagination? Is there any one or? I mean, there's so many. So Carla Overbeck was my um, assistant coach at Duke. And I think she was part of why I went there um, also because it looked like a castle, but um, <laughs> she, she uh I couldn't act like a normal human around her ever, no ma- because of how cool she was and how funny she had this real uh, humor that, I mean, I just thought she was the coolest human I had ever encountered and I never stopped thinking that. And I still get nervous around her because I just think she's the coolest human I've ever, ever encountered. Um, and uh, Julie Foudy yeah. uh, is a friend now, but same, same sort of awe for, for her. And um, just, I, I think that the, who they are as humans off the field. Um, but, but it that's, I think that's, you can say that about so many of, of the players um, and that's what makes it such, such a special group of of game changers absolutely absolutely what do you think about the state of soccer right now women's soccer just curious in terms of you know the visibility and how it's grown I cannot wait for New Zealand and Australia um you know it's it is a time period of outright hope where all over the world, there is unprecedented support 
and funding and attention and interest in the right kind of ways where in South America now, in order to play Copa Libertadores, you've got to have a women's professional team too, which um, changes everything. And in England, um, the amount of money being poured into the women's league and, and what that means is, I mean, the w- women's soccer has been so important in our country forever. And now all of these other countries are getting to experience the support too. And so the level is just climbing, climbing, climbing. And there are special players in every country. And I think that it's just the competition. It's going to be all the harder for us to keep our level of dominance because now everybody else is good too. But I I do think that we really kicked that off. I mean, you know, because the, the, the U.S. is just, it's such an anomaly. It's the only place that soccer has caught on through the women's game everywhere else it had been his you know they had known it it but but because of that people were able to see the power of it and now all these countries that have had it in their backyards for years are finally giving it the attention love money that it deserves right Uh, absolutely and I think that uh you know when I I traveled making a a documentary on pickup soccer around the world and anywhere we went, people would find out I was an American. They'd be like, Oh, that's the country where girls play or we're women. And, um, and that has, it's changing where everyone's like, Oh, I guess we could play too. And I think that seeing what the women have done over here, I've talked to players who say, you know, we saw the U S players fighting for equal rights and equal pay. And, Oh, you guys have a nanny. How did you do that? I want a nanny with our team. And so there is just a massive ripple effect where um, when one country fights for equality, it helps everybody. Absolutely. It is. It is. I mean, I I do say, I like to say to people that the U.S. women's national team, certain players have really led the third wave of feminism in this country. In my opinion, they are really that powerful and um, important. So um, I guess I'll just end on, you know, what do you want girls um, to feel, to take away, you know, when they when they get this book um, under the tree? hopefully, or, you know, when they ask their parents for it and they get it, is there, is there a message, you know, that, that they can take away from this book and the U.S. Women's National Team? Just all the possibility of of being who you are too. And I think that's another really important thing is, you know, they didn't stop on the field. Um, It was showing us like you, you, whether you want to wear a a ponytail or a tuxedo or like whoever you are and whatever way you want to live your life, like there is a place for, for you. And um, I I think that this team in every era and, and as the, you know, the message evolves with each group, um, but it's, it's a really empowering message of just possibility. And you, you can do this, you can be, who you were meant to be. And um, I also think for, for us, not little girls, um, it's awesome to watch the generations build on each other. And I've always been in awe uh, since I was a kid sitting on the coffee table, drinking in that 99 team. Um, I've been awe, in awe of the team, but then when you see them all together and how it keeps going and how one team teaches the next um, what it means to be on this team and then how that group 
takes that lesson and then builds upon it. And it, it just becomes more and more beautiful. And um, I, I think the book, watch, all of the incredible photos, um, both the fo- photo, uh, photos of moments you remember um, from iconic moments, um, but then photos of quiet moments you didn't get to see. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's powerful. And I'm, I feel really, really lucky to have gotten to take part in it. Yeah, no, and and it was really it was so nice to be able to reflect on all of these moments and some and learn about the ones that I didn't. I I think that for me the most the thing that really just pulled me in in some you know just massive way. This at this point my daughter was playing club soccer, so I was super steeped and I was managing that team, and I could see the power of it with the girls. And how it was building them into these unbelievable, just little humans that were responsible and tough and kind and, you know, looked to to pass, you know, it's like all of those lessons. But that 2011 game against Japan, I remember watching it with my then 11 year old daughter and seeing what it meant to Japan. Like I have the chills just thinking about it, even though we lost and it was devastating it was so impactful like I'll never seeing what it could do to this country that we had all just been grieving for it was so powerful on a I'm just I'm like sorry <laughs> you, oh you were- I've got chills as you describe it I just got, yeah. got chills because it it's just um yeah. it, it's, it's more than a game you we hear a, a lot um, but yeah. i think in the women's yeah. landscape that, that can be especially true because you know nobody was in it for fame or for money right. you're you're uh so the most pure um a, essence of the game really just emerges in that 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 japan game mm-hmm. uh, i mean watching sala i mean it, it's oh, God. Yeah. i know and she's yeah. just queen you know I mean for sure yeah so um yeah it was really fun to get to revisit those those beautiful moments and and that the the book puts them all together again that was Gwen Oxenham with Jen Gruskoff our founder and CEO great conversation about her favorite players moments history everything in regards to the game thought it was interesting how she even mentioned Carla Overbeck being one of her heroes a former assistant coach of hers when she was at Duke and that really just goes to show you just how loaded and deep that those teams were previously I know this this generation has to face a lot but what that gener the 90s fate teams faced is even greater than that and I you look at that team across the board to me it's one of the greatest teams ever assembled and I would put that team up against any any team and especially this current generation of players with the u.s or you know that last golden generation with with pino and and wombach and all and all those players i would still put this 90s group among them because you didn't matter who it was they all made an impact in some shape or form so again just a couple little things i want to read out to you about the book because again we have all of this on the website as well so again go to www girlssoccernetwork.com but here's a couple words on the book again from our founder and CEO Jen it was an inspired choice because Oxenham is not all about the soccer stars in the women's soccer world in fact quite the opposite her reporting is for the most part on the players who live outside the bubble of fame soccer journey women who will do anything to keep on playing 
the unsung heroes, right? You heard Jen talk about that in the interview. She That is what Gwen does. She sheds a light on the people who aren't necessarily going to get all the recognition and credit, which, again, is so important because there are so many people out there who deserve the recognition and the credit, who work so hard and deserve to be highlighted in this way. So her book, her first book, Under the Lights and in the Dark, Untold Stories of Women's Soccer is just that. She goes into the far reaches of the globe and highlights women for whom soccer is not just a sport, but a driving force. Whether they're from England, Russia, the United States, the common denominator is that these women are hardwired to play soccer. And the U.S. Women's National Team is the same. You know, their single-mindedness and drive to be the very best is not just badass, but completely infectious. And I think that is absolutely true. We see how determined they are. Even Alex Morgan, you know, posting that TikTok leading up to the World Cup first. You know, imagine the confidence that you have where you record that first video before the World Cup saying that, I know Kanye's canceled, but he used, she used the Kanye audio right from the Grammy speech. Some people ask me what it's like to know if, if, how I would, what I would be like if I didn't win. And then I guess we'll never know. So you're talking about filming that before the World Cup, and then you have the clip afterwards. So they're a resilient, confident group, and they have full self-belief in themselves because of the program. And so the book itself, this Pride of a Nation book's main takeaway is that while players and kits on a team may change, the culture is what lives on, like I just said. This is very true of the U.S. women's national team. They've set a bar high for themselves, and they've earned our trust year after year, decade after decade. They continue to push the limits of our game, lift spirits, and have an impact on our culture. And here are some other things that Pride of a Nation includes. You have exclusive player polls ranking the best teams of each decade and an all-time best 11. So you definitely want to get in on that. Excerpts of the best previously published writing and prize-winning reporting about the Epic Games and greatest players over the last 40 years again if you're a history buff you got to get on this and then stats records illuminating trivia and all that great stuff this book is a great gift for a diehard fan or a young student of the game so again it is the holiday period be sure if you're behind on christmas gifts if you want to give them something for the new year if you just want to give them something for their birthday coming up it's a great gift to give and again just another word on on Gwen Oxenham, again, a former standout player in Duke, like I mentioned, an author of Under the Lights, In the Dark, and Finding the Game, and has written extensively about the U.S. women's national team for the Atlantic, Sports Illustrated, and ESPN. So one of the best writers out there right now, and she truly gives justice to the U.S. women's national team in the best way possible. All right, as part of our year-end wrap up what we're going to do is go through a lot of the great stuff that's on the website right now articles that you could check out but also some people that we want to shed a light on in terms of best of from this year so right off the bat we'll start with best humanitarian efforts by players again this is a great category and some of the best from this year include Kalida Popal from Girl Power a former soccer player who played for the Af- Afghanistan women's national team spoke out about you know tough topics such as abuse that she incurred during her time within the organization and after an injury related retirement she founded girl power which uses soccer and education to empower and unite girls worldwide an amazing amazing story uh and especially with what's going on right now in iran 
and in Muslim countries where there is a huge pushback for supporting women and the removal of, you know, not having to wear hijab, which is a big deal in Muslim culture. Uh, there's so much going on surrounding this. Uh, that's what makes the work that Khalila Papal is doing so incredibly important. But moving on to Megan Rapino with GLSCN, and can you even list any humanitarian efforts without including her? Because she's done so much in speaking out against whatever injustices there are in the world right now. Uh, one of the leading names on the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and her other ambassadorships and pledges include the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, which again is this uh, network that she has created, Common Goal Athlete Ally in the U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee. She and her wife, Sue Bird, launched this production company called A Touch More to promote diverse stories. Between that and GLSEN, between all of that, Gleason, is that, I'm not fully aware of what the acronym pronunciation is, but Gleason, great work from, from Megan Rapino. Kristen Press for Grassroots Soccer has been an ambassador for years, which was founded in 2002. It connects kids with mentors and communities in over 60 countries. Vivian Miedema, who unfortunately has recently, you know, her and Beth Mead both have torn their ACLs. They will be out for a while, but that doesn't mean that it's going to stop her from creating an impact. Uh, she founded War Child and inspired by her mom and former tennis player Andre Agassi. She's always wanted to support a good cause. She can make a difference in children's lives and have a major impact as an, as an advance, you know, uh, as an ambassador. This organization is dedicated to supporting children in war-torn parts of the world and helping them overcome that trauma for a bright future. So great stuff from Vivian Miedema. We have Manuela Acosta, another common goal pledge taker. She is a Colombian national team player who is uh, one of the main inspirations for Somos Equidad, Global Goal 5 Accelerator's Latin American chapter. And the goal is to reach youths of Latin America through soccer while simultaneously deconstructing the systemic tools of gender equality. Again, certain parts of the world are still very traditional and still view the world in a certain type of way. And in order to remove that, right, we're going to have to put in some more work. <laughs> we're gonna, we got more work to do. Madison Hammond. Madison Hammond, excuse me, with Athlete Ally from Angel City. Uh, what, again, one of the lone Native American players in the league. And so she's all about really supporting trans rights and not and preventing the anti-trans rhetoric from being filled within schools. So really trying to eliminate homophobia and transphobia as much as possible. And then also just speaking up for, you know, people of color in different communities that aren't as highly represented naturally that's something that she does being native american and then lastly we have imani dorsey united for girls which is a initiative under the u.s soccer foundation umbrella and concentrates on getting girls from underserved communities resources to become leaders on and off the pitch in addition, it aims to get girls involved in soccer to improve confidence and body positive image and increase the number of female role models at the mentor and coach level. Again, huge, because everywhere you see it, it's everywhere. I mean, it's just men for the most part. Of course, there are women coaches, but you just don't see them at all. You really don't see them very often. It's growing steadily, 
and we're starting to see more and more women enter the coaching ranks and get those licenses but in a prominent sense it's still a lot of men so to see this is is really really huge in terms of a lot of the different humanitarian efforts that have been you know seen this year and we thank each and every one of them for all of their incredible work that they have done to support women's soccer this past year get into a couple more items the best college instagram stories keep it a little a little lighter uh, some of the highlights that some of the best schools that had some of the best highlights um, that did the best on our, you know, on our radar, Providence College, uh, the Friars had some fun stuff. NCAA soccer itself is a great follow just to get all the latest highlights on everything that's going on around the world of women's soccer at the college level. Boston College women's soccer and the ACC UCLA women's soccer, of course. I mean, who wouldn't want to see that <laughs> national championship run unfold on social media? And then Emerson College and Nazareth College, uh, just to give them a little more, a little more diversity and kind of highlight some of the smaller schools that might not be Division One. But there's a huge world outside of just D1 soccer, Division Two, II, Division Three. There are so many schools out there that not only play great football, but produce great social media content as well. So be sure to check out all of those IG accounts uh, before getting ready for next year. For women trailblazer coaches, again, also on the website, this is, again, is a great piece that we did. We have to start with Margarita Ozasa, who, again, we've talked about earlier with the UCLA run and just what she's been able to do um, at that program in her first year incredible already going to go down in history and in all likelihood we're going to be talking to her at the united soccer coaches convention so that's an important thing to remember guys we will be at the convention coming up in january so we will be in philly podcast world we'll be there for the draft we're going to be interviewing coaches and players alike so if you have anything that you want to have asked please get in touch with us on social media please get in touch with me and we have an opportunity to put out great content for you guys so especially getting the chance to meet marguerite most likely at united national soccer coaches convention again so keep your eyes peeled for more content coming on that within the new year going back to the trailblazing coaches we have julianne sitch another major trailblazer because she is coaching a men's collegiate soccer team at the university of chicago so that is, again, a huge, huge deal. Not a lot of women will ever be put in charge of a men's team, but she has, and that is a huge step. You want to talk about trailblazing in in a huge way? She's another person who, again, we're going to be able to talk to at the convention. So be sure to stay on point, get ready for that interview when it comes out. Next up is Tiffany Roberts Sahadiak, who... Again, led UCF as the best team in the American Conference this year and took the eventual national champions, UCLA, to penalties uh, in a 1-1 draw. I mean, they scored first. Diana Martin looks like a future, you know, looks like a star in the making. And so UCF, one of those programs, slowly on the rise. It's a big deal, again, for her to with the job that she's done building that UCF program into one of the dominant programs in the American Athletic Conference. So credit to her and her program for 
for what they've achieved. And then Jennifer Rockwood at BYU has been there for so, so long. Again, we're talking about Final Four appearances and, you know, being able to get to get over the hump with some incredible players. You've seen, you know, Jamie Shepard play this year, Michaela Clough uh, in previous years. They've had so many good players come through that program. And now it's starting to get the national recognition that it deserves. And she's getting the national recognition that they deserve. So BYU has, again, also done so much for women's college soccer as being one of those dominant programs that is continuing to build their profile as a national power and are getting higher level recruits. It's going to be interesting to see how the, their next group of players with an extra year of eligibility comes together. Alrighty, we have best U.S. Women's National Team moments from the year in what was a wild year. Alright, that is for sure. It has been incredibly eventful from that perspective. You have the She Believes Cup, which the United States still did end up winning, right? They still came through in a big, big way. It was Rose Lavelle's diving header against Nigeria, Pino with the setup, everything, you know, in a game where it was contested, Nigeria has players, solid players, they had to come from behind in order to to pull it out, and they did it. Those are the types of situations that you need to simulate in order to get ready for a competition like the World Cup. And even though the other friendlies did not go well, i.e. England, Spain, Germany losing three in a row like that, naturally was shocking for everyone, it was, but... Again, all the injuries, the rebuild roster, it's going to take time. That's where Alyssa Thompson's been given an opportunity to even play. That's where that came from. And so Alyssa Thompson making her debut was a big deal, highlighting again the U.S.'s commitment to, again, giving younger players an opportunity. Will it work out? Uh, we've yet to see, but I just you know, having just played on the under-17 roster for the World Cup and then get your senior call up. That's a big deal for Alyssa Thompson and her career is only going to go up from here. Of course, you had the U.S. Women's National Team players on the Ballon d'Or list. And this year, I would say it was a pretty, you know, fair list this time. In years past, it's been iffy. But in terms of who from the American side of things deserved to be on that list... It was correct. All right, so Katerina Macario had an incredible year. Alex Morgan, a great year in San Diego, revitalizing her career. And then Trinity Rodman, who she might just be getting a lot of love because she's a star now. But I don't think, again, like her performance and the numbers don't back up being 18th. But the other two, fully happy with that. That was certainly a big highlight. Crystal Dunn back in action. Uh, coming back from her pregnancy was incredible um, to see that for the U.S. Women's National Team and also for Portland essentially scoring the winning goal. One of the winning goals on their playoff run, you want to talk about a storybook moment to come back and score a goal like that in that moment. Uh, it's just truly incredible. So Crystal Dunn is back and she's back with a bang. And then you have... The CONCACAF Women's Championship, which, again, the United States pretty much dominated up until the final where they would get their revenge over Canada. So 
a lot of good still happened. Everyone's going to look at that three-game losing streak and go into panic mode, but they won the CONCACAF Championship. They won, you know, the She Believes Cup. They won the tournaments that they need to win. So, again, not all need to, to panic. Anything like that for the U.S. Women's National Team, in my opinion. And then one of the really cool things to see was the U.S. Women's National Team players ball. And seeing all those players kind of get to unwind dress up and, and kind of just have a have a great time uh, they they deserve that they deserve to have something like that so when you look at the night that they had I'm sure it looked like a blast but you can only imagine uh, what it was like for them it seemed like such a great time but a lot of cool moments for the US women's national team this year and super glad you know that they they got that players ball they deserve it lastly before we wrap up, Big news out of the NWSL. Dabinia is not returning to the North Carolina Courage. Teams in Europe are all interested. You're looking at teams like Barcelona, Arsenal, I'm sure Manchester City, PSG, Lyon. All the big clubs are going to be after her. It'll be interesting to see which club she chooses, but wherever she goes, she's going to be fantastic. I cannot wait to watch her. You know, wherever she goes next, even though it's not going to be in the NWSL anymore, I'm super sad to see that. I think it was, what, five, six years in the league as one of the league's best players. And just, we need a highlight tape of all of her best work because she's another one of those players who deserves to be immortalized in NWSL history as one of the all time greats that has ever played in the league, without question for me. Has to be. Her ability to create and score and make everyone around her better is just on another level so again thank you so much to being here for everything that you have done for the nwsl we're sad to see you leave america hopefully you do come back one day we, we really really hope so and again one more thing guys again we will be at the united soccer coaches convention so again stay tuned for everything in regards to that and we will have a ton of great content coming out for you in the new year but until then Happy holidays. I hope you guys have an amazing rest of your 2022 and beyond and have a great new year coming up as well. Again, we at Girls Soccer Network, we love you and appreciate you and thank you all for all of the support that you give us. Uh, it means the world to us, really. It really, really does. So thank you all. And again, happy holidays. Have a great rest of your year. Episode 56 of Give and Go is a wrap. I'm your host, Rotas Wadera. And again, for all the latest and greatest, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram, at Girls Soccer Network, on Twitter, at Girls Soccer Net. Again, we've got you covered. Love y'all, guys. Peace.